Sister Grant has this little saying when people asked her what I preached on and when I didn't go in a particular direction. And they look at her and say, what did Brother Grant preach on tonight? She usually says, the platform. I say, I know what that means. That means I was up here, but I went all over. Not all over here, but all over the Bible. Uh, Been a lot of things on my mind recently concerning spiritual growth. I think growth is so important. See, if you grow, you change. And growth demands change, which does mean quite often a changing of your minds. Now, you may say, well, Brother Grant, I thought our minds were made up as to what we believe. That's true, but there is a developing of maturity that causes the transformation of the mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing. The word renewing here simply means the the changing of your mind. In other words, we live in a robe of flesh, but as long as God talks to us, the carnal element must dissipate and the spiritual element rises to the surface. So consequently, we see the changing, the evolving, the growing process. Galatians Verse 1, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest I also be tempted. Now there's a lot in this, and I hadn't planned on saying much about it, but basically, restoration. See, God forgives an individual, but restoration sometimes is very painful. There is a difference in God forgiving you and you being restored. And restoration into the body should be taken care of by very spiritual people. Because when you start bearing one another's burdens to the point that he is speaking of here, it's very easy for you to be tempted just like the individual that you're trying to restore. So then the question is, whose convert became whose? See? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. And not in another. Basically what he's talking about here is that every man should have priorities and particular goals that he has established. Because contentment comes through the completion of a task. If you don't know what you're trying to do, then naturally when you have accomplished whatever you're doing, there will not be contentment because... You didn't set out to do that. The reason why a lot of people are confused or discontent is because they have no goals. So they, when they do something that is an accomplishment, it's almost like it's an accident. So they feel good for a moment, but there's not real contentment. Like the plaque that I gave Carolyn. 
It says it's hard to do nothing because you never know when you're finished. Let every man bear his own burden. In other words, you've got your own work. Feel responsible while we bear one another's burdens. Verse 2, let every, for every man shall bear his own burden. In other words, every man should feel responsible to do his own work without the assistance or aid or help from somebody else. Now, from your perspective, you should be willing as much as possible to help. And then let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. And the last part of this, for in due season, due season, there is a season in which certain things must be accomplished. There's a time to plant. There's a time to cultivate. There's a time to water. And there's a time to harvest. So we're going to talk about this due season. God bless you. you may be seated. Brother Moran's working, trying to set this mic, and we're not really for sure just how effective this will be. However, uh, he will be experimenting somewhat. So if you feel a little uncomfortable, it's because he's trying to get it set just right, and after he gets it, it may take a service or so. Hopefully we'll be in great shape. Due season is found throughout the Bible, that phrase. It also parallels with the phrase, the fullness of time. Now, the fullness of time is not making reference to a calendar or a clock. While that may be incorporated in the, the phrase itself, there's, there's more to it than just that. In other words, we are about to experience Christmas, ready or not, because it's a calendar, an annual calendar event. Now, I'm not so ready. I'm really not ready. I had planned on going with my wife to do some shopping tomorrow, and I'm called out of town, and I will not be able to do any Christmas shopping this year. Now, my wife will stay behind, and she'll shop for a little while, and I guess that'll be it. So we're not really ready. But Christmas will come, ready or not. That's the way it's going to be. I'd like for you to turn to Galatians 4. And we will read 
some logic that the Apostle Paul uses to the church at Galatia. Galatians 4 verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. In other words, you hear a lot nowadays about the king to be or the prince of England who will step in as the king once his mother relinquishes that uh, headship. But at this particular time, he's not the king. And so this is what it's talking about. Before that time comes in which he is crowned, even though he's an heir, that's just the way it is. And so you just can't make him what he is not until certain things transpire. So while he is a child, there's no difference between him and his servant. In other words, his mother tells him when to get up, when to go to bed, when to brush his teeth, when to comb his hair, when to take a bath. His father tells him what to do and what not to do. So just because he's an heir to that throne doesn't make him at this particular moment free to do and go and make decisions as if he had already entered into kingship. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Now in other words, he is sent to school or someone comes in and someone, someone teaches him. So he is under tutors or governors. The governors here is making reference to people who govern over him or who direct him. So he's taught just like all the other boys. If in the event there is a great trial in the land, there's an overthrow of his kingdom, he provides for that by teaching his son a skill. His son will know how to work just like everybody else. And so, he is evaluated on a regular basis to determine whether he is actually ready to be on his own. And this time appointed of the Father is not making reference to Twelve years in school. That's not what it's making reference to. It's making reference to a time in which he achieves a certain academic level and accomplishes certain things that have been set as imperatives, things that are a must, things that ought to be, they have to be rather, before he is then elevated up 
and receives the kingship. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now he compares this to the Christian. He said, now what about Christians before they became Christians? Were not we in bondage in the world? Didn't certain things have to transpire for you to change your mind about your lifestyle? Didn't certain things have to mature? See, I have uh, carefully studied people's lives. It appears that the soul has a season in which it becomes ripe or it matures, is ready for harvest. See, Jesus said in John 4.35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto thee, lift up thine eyes, and look upon the fields. Now those Jewish men that he was speaking to, they, they were thinking about harvest time comes four months. Jesus said, no, harvest time is now. In other words, there are many ripe souls. See, Jesus was spiritualizing while they looked at the carnal world, the temporal world around them. And isn't it true that when you came to God, certain things had to happen in order for you to be ready to be saved? Well, I've had people that that have gone so far as to say, That when I entered into Calvary Gospel Church, I made up my mind, this will be the last church service I ever come to. They had reached the end of the rope. They were about ready to give up on life, on God, and everything. And just like that, they were ripe, and somebody talked to them, somebody went out to meet them, somebody explained what God could do, They developed a repentant spirit, gave their heart to the Lord. They were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, still living for God. And I tell a lot of people who are dealing with their relatives, especially those who have unsaved spouses, you can do all that you want to do as far as preaching to them. But until certain things transpire, until there's a ripeness of their soul, it will fall as seed by the wayside. I'm not saying you're wasting your time because I think that the preaching and the witnessing can enhance or bring about a ripeness. But you can't save people against their will. You just absolutely can't. And while you're praying for them to be saved, they're praying, they're saying, I don't want to be saved. Can God save people against their will? No, He can't. So God, in turn, allows certain things to begin to change in their life. Circumstances begin to evolve. First it's this, then it's this, it's this, and then it's this. And all of that's designed by God to bring about the fullness or the due season in which their heart is ripe and ready. 
Now, what you think will bring ripeness doesn't always bring ripeness. It's really amazing. You think somebody flat of their back, facing death, about to pass from this life would bring ripeness automatically, not necessarily so. For I visit the hospital when people were right down facing death, and you couldn't get them to talk about the Lord. They get fired off of a job six months later, and they're ready to get saved. See, you don't know what will bring ripeness. But I will assure you this, God in His wise judgment, using discretion, will never bring about a more severe circumstance in anybody's life than what needs to be brought about to get the job accomplished. For God by nature is not a destroyer. So when you're praying, God, just have your way, that is a wise thing for you to pray. Now the reason why I say it's a wise thing I talked with a lady one time and she says, I stopped praying that God would have his way because my husband got flat of his back, filled with cancer, in the hospital, ready to die. So I didn't pray that. Yes, but you see, all you were doing is say, God, I trust you to do what is necessary. That's all you're doing. You're not saying, God, kill him. That's not what you're saying. You're saying, God, have your way. You're actually believing, trusting that God can take care of the situation. But then why did my husband get this cancer? Because your husband needed to get the cancer. Because that's the only thing that would bring about the ripeness. But you see, that brought about the ripeness. While your husband did die, he was saved before he died. And that's what you were praying for anyway. Sure, he's not with you. And we all sorrow over that. But he's saved. See, God knows. So he's saying, isn't it true that when you were in bondage, the children of this world, under the elements of the world, that certain things had to happen before you came and gave your life to God? Then he goes on to say, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. When the world could no longer stand without a Redeemer, Jesus Christ steps on the scene. John 1 and 1 in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. God had the plan. It was there. But God brought man through various stages. We call them dispensations. You can read in the Bible and clearly define where the dispensations are. Each dispensation started with a major law. Handed down by God. After man 
went for a period of time. You know, all the dispensations are not the same length. Why? Because some dispensations developed and brought about a condition faster than others. And so the dispensations vary in length. But each one culminated with the due season or the fullness of time. What has been accomplished or what was to be accomplished has been accomplished. And so it is now time for God to judge and change and bring about a different dispensation. So that's basically what he's saying. So we were all in the world of sin. God brought us out. Now he has sent forth his spirit in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or Father, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So as a result, we're, we're not servants. But you and I are heirs to the kingdom of God. Now, lately I've been talking quite a bit about righteous living as it relates to progress or growth or you know in the stewardship we talk about well success now I'm not on a success kick or anything like that but that I mean I have been reading no self-help success books but what I have been doing is for some time now looking in the pages of the Bible to for the benefit of going places and helping people to get out of some of their stinking thinking you know there are some people that just feel things are bad and if they change they'll have to get worse because nothing good could ever happen to me you know, I see a lot of people with uh, with uh, complexes. So a man who has a complex, let's say he has an inferiority complex, he always comes across as being a man with a with a with a big ego. In other words, he comes across as being the opposite of what he is because he he tries to compensate. So he, he's got to impress everybody. So a man with an inferiority complex that you would automatically think would be a humble man cannot be humble. Because he's always fighting to prove his worth. You follow what I'm saying? So Paul says, let every man not esteem himself more highly than what he ought to, but let him walk humbly. And humility is just being yourself, accepting yourself as you are. In other words, you've got to be able to discreetly judge yourself. So a man with an inferiority complex, it's most difficult for him to manifest faith because he's trying to do everything with his own hands all the time. 
Faith is just trusting God. It's just believing that I cannot do it. Therefore, all I will do is ask God. Now it's real easy, if you don't have faith in God, to pretend you have faith in God. Now if this man is sick and this man needs to be healed, the Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. But if I'm struggling all week long with myself and my inferiority, and I'm going to pray for this man, I've got to make it look good. Because I don't have faith. So when I get a hold of him, you know, it's one, two, three, go. You know, you shake him down, you know. Did that hurt? Almost. Almost. I don't know how you can almost be hurt. <laughs> almost hurt. <laughs> Felt a little pain rising. You know, you know <clears throat> I've been prayed for by Christians when I had a headache, and when I left I had such a headache I couldn't hardly think. <laughs> Several loose teeth. My ears were rattling. Now, you, you follow what I'm saying here. That See, because God has redeemed us does not necessarily mean that we are problem or trouble free. But just as God, in the scripture, brought about a condition to make us ripe to be saved... He also must bring about certain conditions to, to enhance growth. So Christians then quite often are put under the gun, spiritually speaking. And it's hard for them then to know how to react. And when they get under the gun, spiritually speaking, it's easy for them then. After a while, it just say, "Well, I guess the only way to be is just, just, just forget it. You know, all about really digging in spiritually. I guess it's all right then for me to just. Quite frankly, they retreat because they don't like pressure. Only to find that when they retreat, the pressure is greater. Now, what am I supposed to do?" like the man who's running from God in the book of Amos. He runs from a lion, and what does he do? He meets a bear. He runs inside of this, this shelter, this home, because the lion can't come in, and the bear can't come in. He closes the door. He can breathe now. He puts his hand up against the wall, and there's a snake there, a viper, and it bites him. And this is the way some Christians are. They run this way and they stop and they run this way and they run this way and they run scared all their life. You'd be surprised at the people that I talk to that are afraid if they give their heart to God, they will end up being a preacher. I'm serious with you. Now, I've never been able to understand that because I'm a preacher and I think this is what everybody ought to be if God calls them, naturally. And some preachers then, when they get in the ministry, then they worry 
about becoming missionaries. I may have to give all this up and I may have to go overseas. So then they try to limit themselves. So you see, every level or echelon that you live in, in this life, there is always a fear that if I totally commit, totally sell out, it's going to cost me. God then is dealing with them to bring about maturity, enhanced growth. Because they're not totally sold out, then what happens? They are penalized for being disobedient. So as a result, it costs them more by not selling out than it would if they did sell out. (laughs) And so they kind of live all of their life just running scared. The fullness of time in due season. Uh, This is a very, very important thing. You know, we tell people, it never hurts to keep your mind open. Never. You see, if you're a man that's involved in false doctrine, you keep your mind open, you will change to the truth. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and you've got an open mind, you won't stay a Jehovah's Witness because nobody can believe that pack of lies and be saved. So as a result, if you keep your mind open... You will move on from that, and you'll move into the truth. Now, when you get in the truth, don't close your mind then. Because the truth is the only thing that you can be in and keep your mind open and stay in it. So to all people, keep your mind open. Napoleon Bonaparte put it like this. He said, the greatest derangement of the mind is for a man to believe something simply because he wants to believe it. You know, just to be caught up into something that's not true and believe it simply because you want to believe it. He he classified that as being the greatest derangement of the mind. So as a result, it always pays to keep an open mind. I hope that our young people are really listening to me because, you see, some of you young men will someday be the preachers that lead the church. And some of you young ladies will stand by these preachers and missionaries. The only safe place ever to be is in the will of God. The will of God. You see, whatever God has for you will beyond a shadow of a doubt be very exciting and it will be the only thing that will bring contentment. So why run? If you know that turning your back upon the will of God and holding on to something that's selfish momentarily that will leave you or escape anyway and cause you heartache and cost you then what's the problem? I mean, if you really think it's going to cost me if I give myself to God, and you know it's going to cost you now, then why live where you are? Because it's not going to be any greater as far as consequences when you give yourself to God. Now, if everybody in this church gave themselves to the Lord 100% all the way, you wouldn't all turn out to be preachers. 
and you wouldn't all go overseas as missionaries. You wouldn't. But you see, the reason why that I've been spending a lot of time with pastors and churches, I believe that God does want people to be successful. But you see, success in God is not based upon just trying to get, 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 to lay up treasures or, or store things in banks here. That's not how you get it. For success in God comes by giving, 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 giving. But God wants you to be successful. He really does. Now, I want to point out something here. Let's talk about a book of remembrance. We talked about the fullness of time. Let's talk about the book of remembrance. There will be a judgment day in which every man who has not made it in the rapture will stand before God to be judged. Now there will be people at the white throne judgment who will be judged that will be righteous because the rapture is not for all dispensations. It happens to be for the grace dispensation and for many of the Old Testament saints that arose after his resurrection. I saw the dead, Revelation 20, verse 12, small and great stand before God, and the books were opened. Now, when the rapture takes place, that will be judgment within itself. The church will go up. Where will the church be, the bride of Christ, at this time? We will be gathered around the throne of God. We will actually be judging the world with the Lord. Peter puts it this way. He said, if you have a conflict in your church, he said, don't let it go out of the church. In other words, don't take it to some civil lawyer someplace. That is conflict between church people. Why? He said, because you're the people that's going to judge the world. If you can't take care of your own matters within the church, what qualifies you to stand up to judge the world? See, so we will not... B, that is, if we make it in the rapture, at the white throne judgment to be judged. For we have already judged ourselves. How do you judge yourself? By continually going before the throne of grace to find mercy. By continually evaluating yourself. By continually pouring yourself out and consecrating yourself at the altar. You see, the judgment seat of Christ is set up right now. When the rapture takes place, we will go up and we will be awarded, every one of us, or rewarded, as the scripture says, according to what we have done. See? But I don't think anybody go with, before the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord's going to look down and say, Glenn, how did you get up here? And Glenn says, I don't know, I just... All of a sudden, I, did, I was just changed. The Lord says, uh-oh, must have been a mistake here. You know, cast him back out. See? <laughs> no, it's not going to happen that way. We'll go up to meet the Lord in the air. 
that within itself is judgment. And we will ever be with the Lord. That's what the scripture says. But there are other dispensations. There's a dispensation to follow this dispensation. Called the millennium. A thousand years of peace. There will be people that will not fall into the temptation of the devil. There will be people that will go through the great battle of Gog and Magog. On God's side and live eternally in his presence. They will appear before the white throne judgment. See, in Matthew 24, there were some that, that, that went to the white throne judgment, and it was put like this, sheep to the right and goats to the left. Sheep to the right and goats to the left. Now, that's not going to take place at the rapture at the judgment seat of Christ. Because all of those who go up to meet the Lord in the air will be saved. Those who have a walk with God, but those who are not on fire, according to Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13, they will go up. See, there is an old Negro hymn that I heard years ago that went like this. Everybody talking about a heaven ain't a going there. I still remember that. I remember the radio. I used to just listen to this and listen to it and listen to it and listen to it. At that time, I was not given to God. But you see, I felt for the crowd that if I really gave myself to God, it meant more than just coming to church and warming a pew. But it meant being sold out altogether for God. Not every man that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter therein. Let me just ask you, right now in your present status where you are, spiritually speaking, if the rapture took place, would you be saved? And you may say, well, I, I, I don't know, Brother Grant. Well, you better know. You better get to thinking about it. Because you see, when all of the conditions of the world culminate, the fullness of time takes place. The trumpet's going to blow. When the world cannot stand another hour without the vengeance of God's wrath upon its sinful condition, the rapture is going to take place. And prove to you according to the scripture, just as Jesus Christ came when the world needed a redeemer. Let's just say that Jesus Christ was actually born December 25th. I don't think that he was. But let's say, let's just use our imagination. When Jesus Christ was born, he had to be born right then. No later. Why? Because the fullness of time had come. He had to be born that time, that night. And while there was no room in the inn, God could have, because we see that the gestation period does vary somewhat, He could have 
let Mary wait another week until there was room in the inn. But it was God's time, fullness, maturity, rightness in the world had come. And the world needed the Redeemer right then. Not another night, but that night. And one of these days, God's going to look down upon the world and He's going to say, Judgment! must come not tomorrow not next week but I've got to start it right now so Gabriel get your trumpet we're going to blow it now because the conditions in the world have ripened and I can go so far as to say this some of you that are lollygagging around and pussyfooting around with religion, you are causing it to be that way. And your condition of not being sold out to God only enhances judgment in the planet Earth. In other words, you're, while you're sitting back hoping, God, don't catch me when I am lukewarm. The truth of the matter is, you're causing God to look down upon hypocrisy and choose to judge it. You're causing the Almighty God to withdraw His long suffering to enhance His wrath. See, he's waiting for the precious fruit to be brought from the earth. And you may say, he's going to wait around on me. Not so, my friend. He's going to call somebody else. Because while he's working with you to ripen your soul, to be totally committed, he's also working on that sinner man. Jesus put it like this to the Pharisees. God brought about all kinds of conditions as they culminated to bring about a condition. Jesus finally stepped forth before the Pharisees and Matthew 27 he pronounced Matthew 23 he pronounced seven woes upon the Pharisees and Jesus said you know the the, the whole on you shall enter into the kingdom of God before you he said here's your thing you go out to get a proselyte you bring him into the faith and you make him twofold more a product for hell than for yourself. Because all that you have done is to teach him your own hypocrisy and your own shortcomings. And you are sold out altogether. And so as a result, he takes on your spirit. Well, I didn't think any unclean thing was going to enter the kingdom of God. Yes, but you see... That harlot and that whoremonger, because of the, the fullness of time taking place in their life, they find an altar and they repent. They're blood washed and made clean. They're justified. And so as a result, they keep walking in one after another. And he keeps waiting for the precious food, fruit. And you see, the, the time is going on. 
People are holding back. Hypocrisy is being spread through the ranks and the files of a lot of Christian communities. Bitter spirits, judgmental attitudes and such. The fullness of time. Oh, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So the books were open. The books, the books, the books. Let's turn in the Old Testament to the book of Malachi. Malachi, the third chapter, verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. You know, there's just something about holy conversation. You know, our people have kind of a habit of going out after church and eating. Various restaurants around. Sometimes at Mark's, sometimes over at Perkins. We were all over at Perkins last Sunday night. And I counted the people there, and I think there were 27 people. And I see you in that trial, even though I might have allowed the devil to come your way. He said, remember, I'm constantly reading out of your biography that's been written. I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to forget about it. I'm not going to get, forget about it. It's going to be that way. You see, every good thing you do, God remembers. As well as every evil thing. For nothing is kept from him. Now, let's turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is basically speaking about the rapture. But we're going to, we'll talk about the rapture a little bit, but we want to talk about the here and the now. Verse 44. Therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made rule over his household? To give them meat in due season. Now this, what he's doing is, he's talking about the coming of the Lord. But then he's saying... But this is the way it works. Here's a man that is ruled over his household. When it comes supper time, in other words, it's time to eat. Does he eat? Oh yeah, he says, God always gives him meat in due season. That's what he's saying. God always gives him meat in due season. Now, let's, let's read on. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. 
See, we are stewards. We're managers. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Now, basically, like I said, this is talking about the coming of the Lord, but this particular portion of the Scripture parallels with many parables in the Scripture that tells us that if a man manages properly and right right now, God will invest in his future in that household. In other words, God is a wise God, and God naturally puts... Now, I don't want to be misunderstood in this, because He lets it rain on the just and the unjust, but He does, He does invest where He gets the most productivity. That's just the way it is. So if this man cooperates with God by totally selling out to the will of God, by that I mean he's unattached to the things of the world. He is benevolent. He is kind. He is meek. He prays. He fasts. He seeks God. He reads his scripture. He teaches. He helps. He cooperates with God. Well, this is where God's going to put a lot of his investments. Why? Because this man is a wise steward. Is that right? Well, that's what the Scripture's teaching us. Sure. That's what it's teaching. See, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. That's a Scripture. That's not John Grant. See? So that's where he's going to, he gets cooperation here. You know, this business of growth is a very intriguing thing. We have some of the finest Christian families in the whole world right here at Calvary Gospel Church. You see, where you are, financially or on a social level, doesn't really mean anything to me or to God. But where you are six months from now, you see, is very important because that does, to a large degree, denote growth. You follow what I'm saying? See, God is a God of productivity and growth. He starts the Old Testament by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The New Testament theoretically starts at Acts, the second chapter. Now, we've, we've got the Gospels in the New Testament, but theoretically, the New Testament, the New Covenant. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one mind and one accord. Where were they? In the upper room. In other words, here they are remade. So the Old Testament starts out with productivity and creativity. The New Testament starts out with productivity and growth or rebirth. That's the nature of God. That's what He wants to do. Now maybe you never understood this the way God's understanding it. 
See, God wants revival in Calvary Gospel Church more than we want it. He wants a big church here more than we want it. He wants to bless you more than you actually want it. See, you have conjured up and devised your own plan to be blessed and to be successful. And it doesn't work that way with God. And so he has to bring about a rightness of condition and time. See? Now, he speaks to the servant who all of a sudden becomes frustrated. I mean, he's frustrated. Why? Because his Lord delayeth his coming. In other words, where's my mansion? Well, naturally, we're looking for that, that, that holy city. God's got a mansion there, but he also has blessings along the way. It's easy to become frustrated with God's season, God's time. And you notice in the scripture what happens when you become frustrated with God's season or God's time and you don't understand it, you begin to pick on people. So he goes to this servant. He says, how come you have a steel all plowed up and, and dressed? And he says, friend, I'll teach you something. You get out there. And he goes to this man and says, How come you don't have your work done? My, this place is in a mess. Now we're talking about spiritual things. In other words, there's, there's no real productivity, there's no real growth. And he doesn't look at himself, he begins to blame everybody else. Ultimately, you are responsible for being where you are and it's nobody's fault but yours. That's what he's say, saying. So don't pick on everybody. Well, it's like this. You know, I could pray, but, 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 but you know, I've got these people that, are, you know, and all kinds of excuses. And so he gets frustrated. So the Bible says then when due season comes, when the Lord comes back, what does he do? He looks at that servant. And he said, you know, you've been, you've been beating up on everybody. And you've been blaming everybody else for the condition you're in. And because that you blame brothers and sisters, and you got bitter, and you claim it was everybody else's fault, you know what I'm going to do? The judgment that you judge others by, ye shall be judged so. He who has been beating will be beaten. And this all came about as a result of people not understanding God's due Season or time. And the only way you can miss it is to fail to yield or give yourself to God's Spirit. Because you say, if I don't know what's developing in my life, and yet I'm trying to find out, and yet I'm so frustrated I'm not really selling out, and I'm not yielding to God, I get frustrated, and I get confused. And I run off in a thousand different directions. And I bring about judgments upon myself that shouldn't be there. But if I can just yield to God and say, Now, Lord, I'm going to do everything that you want me to do. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to... I'm going to do everything that your word tells me to do. And I'm going to be just as loyal as I can be. 
I'm going to be just as humble about this as I can be. And if you want me to go to Hong Kong, China, or Timbuktu, Texas, I'll go. What difference does it matter? I mean, God's the, the big cheese. <laughs> I just had to put that in there. Not Brother Grant. Laying foundation for a different title here. For me, not for God. You understand what I'm saying? When the fullness of time has come. Hebrews 10th chapter, and we're going to be closing here. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Do you have confidence in God? Do you really have confidence in God? You know, if you have confidence in God, you won't fight against God. Now, when we say confidence in God, and you say, yes, well, naturally, you can't afford to say anything else. But there's a different... It's a different story when you're in real life and you're living this. Do you have confidence in God? See, you know, John talks about this in 1 John 3.16 when he talks about our attitude toward our brother. We've gone over that with you. If you want your prayers answered, basically... You do for every man exactly what you would do for man if you were God. You remember us going over that with you? See, if any man have a brother who has a need and you shut up your bowels of compassion, how can you say that the love of God dwelleth in you? So we're not lovers in word, but in deed. And when we pray, if our heart condemn us, so the way to get out of condemnation is to do what? Is to be godly enough to let His nature work inside of us. And then when we go and pray and our heart condemn us not, then we have the confidence in God that whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. So this is the confidence that we have in God. If you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Yet a little while, and he shall come, and he will not tarry. Now that's making reference to come to the Lord, but you will also find this is also making reference to any time that you need a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you need a visitation of the Holy Spirit. I don't know who I'm ministering to tonight, but I feel definitely that God has laid this on my heart to minister to you. Maybe somebody, unbeknownst, anybody else here, is going through a struggle, some kind of a trial. And you're saying, God, you've got to come through. You've got to come through. Well, first place, God does not have to come through at all. Unless you have lived as righteously as you know to live. But if you have done that, 
then I would say this to you. Don't you worry, God never fails. That there may be a ripeness or condition that needs to develop in your life. But if you will just be as patient with God, don't be frustrated, don't be confused. Seek His face. Continue to do everything you know to do. When the fullness of time is coming, God will be there with the answer. I'd like you to stand. <clears throat> oh, God. Verse 38 of Hebrews 10, Now the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And if any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith. Live. The word live here actually means the just shall walk by faith. How far can you run? Not very far. Because you exert so much energy in such a short span. Did you know most people are going to get further by walking than by running? It's not the fast way, but it's the sure way. There are certain people right here in this congregation, if you were challenged to a 100-yard sprint, it would almost kill you. But you could walk all day long without a problem. We used to have 20-mile walkathons, which we raised money for She's for Christ. I walked that 20 miles several times myself. But walking, walking is making reference to one step at a time, steady pace. Walking. 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 When I think of faithfulness, what do I think of? Steadiness. Walking. Faithfulness. A book of remembrance. You think God forgets what you've done? You think you forgot about yesterday? The good deed that you turned? You think you forgot about the person you helped? You think you forgot about the hours that you prayed? You think you forgot about the days that you fasted? You think you forgot about the lonely moments in which you went into His presence thinking there's no answer? No, there's a book of remembrance. Come on, God! Come on, God! You better come, Lord! Don't get frustrated. Don't get upset at your wife. Don't lash at her with your tongue. But my Lord delayeth is coming. There's got to be an answer! Don't get bitter toward your brother. Don't do that. Just keep on walking. Keep on walking. Keep on walking. Just keep going. Keep going. When the fullness of time in due season we shall reap if we faint not over and over and over keep seeking keep praying be steady hallelujah just keep on walking keep on walking
Dear my children, you bind yourself together with much love and much unity. You sing songs about my goodness. There is no telling what God can do if you believe. But it's more than a song, it's more than a ritual. It should not become mechanical, but your faith should be steadfast in me. For I can do exceeding abundantly and above all that ye are able to ask or even to think. The world in itself came about by my wisdom. I do not gather the heavenly host together to counsel with them. But with my own strength and my own might and my own power, counseling with myself, everything that you see around about you and everything that you see in the heavens came about as a result of my wisdom. Therefore I say unto you, my child, do not be afraid to trust in me, for I can do above and beyond what you are able to ask or to think. Be of good cheer. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. To me. Just put your hand in my hand and walk where I walk. For no man is a loser if he follows his Savior. Saith the Lord. <coughs> Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I believe the Lord Himself has given the altar call. If you want to come and find a place to pray, come right on right now. If you'd like to just turn and kneel in your pew and call upon His name and thank Him for His goodness, do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. Aria corundolo musaya handolo mukia condolo musiki. Halle Maria randolo muhusha kamanda la masa. Lord. I need you, God. I need you, God. Oh, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Thank you. 